says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome to a very, very special edition of The Tip Sheet. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s. 60s, mate, how are you doing on this auspicious day? Mate, I'm I'm doing as well as I think everyone in Sydney can possibly be doing at the moment. Amidst lockdown, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, let's, let's just say that today's episode, I reckon, will bring um, a bit of... Uh, some smiles and a bit of entertainment to rugby league lovers out there. 100%. And on that nice little teaser, I'm going to let you take it away and introduce our very, very special guest. John, this is a really special episode that we've got. Last week, the person that we all regard as being amongst the top sportscasters in this country accepted my invitation to be on our podcast. She's the face of Fox League and one of the most highly respected presenters on Australian television with legions of fans. My own mother affectionately refers to her as our Vonnie. Yvonne Sampson, welcome to the tip sheet. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation, boys. It's, um, it's been a long time coming. This is the best thing that's happened since lockdown. So <laughs> I hope that uh, we're all holding up okay. I did have some uh, welfare concerns. Have you seen your captain's new hairdo? <laughs> and is was, he all right? The, My goodness. I reckon Junior Paul is probably giving him that haircut. And, and if you've seen Junior Paul, I think he shaved the beard and he's got a tan line. So for those who haven't quite got across the stylings of uh, King Gutho, he's got, well, how would you describe it? Is it like an Asian rat's tail with like an island of hair that's now yeah, been plaited? It's like it's like a, a really baby mohawk into the rat tail, but it's kind of patchy on the sides where they haven't done a proper clean cut on the, on the with the buzzes so <laughs> look in my experience when a rugby league player does something radical to their hair it's a cry for help you know when we've got joey when he he dyed his hair orange remember todd carney looked like eminem yeah, for a while yeah. he had the peroxide That's right. <laughs> welfare uh, check for mr clint hope you're okay <laughs> i think anyone anyone that's seen um the social media account of badly drawn rugby league. <laughs> yes. and he, he's, got, he's got a very good drawing of yeah. Gutho and that rat's tail. He's turned it into an eel bite in the back of his head. So <laughs> I, I, I think that sums it up. <laughs> uh, Bonnie, the first question, we're going to go a little bit out of sequence, but I really wanted to uh, go straight to it because Gordon Tallis is a, a big fan favourite of a, a number of supporters right across clubs. How much fun is it to work with him? Oh, my God. Gordy really is the greatest fun. He um, He's exactly what you see, uh, which is probably no surprises to everyone out there. He's so loyal. Um, he's extremely rowdy to have around. You can hear him long before you can see him come around the corner. <laughs> um, he's very cheeky. He's, he's an excellent storyteller. Um, never lets the truth get in the way of a good story. Like he'll tell you the same story probably 10 times, but it's slightly different. It's like choose your own adventure at the end. Um, it's, I mean, he's he's got a really compelling rugby league background and history and knowledge of the game, but he balances it really well. And this might surprise people. He's got a really high emotional IQ. Um, so he reads people really well and he can identify when you know, there's ego there or selfishness or weakness or flaws in others. And I think that's probably what we saw in him 
as a player. You know, he would really, he has so much conviction and he's so strength um, in his own mind and character that he really would, he would defend those who can't defend themselves. Um, he sees himself as a, as a big protector. Um, we call it Gordyville when it's a visit to Gordie Town, um, you know, because it's very black and white. He will argue to the nth degree, which is also really fun. Um, but, yeah, he's so generous in his spirit and he's, he loves a beer. Um, but, yeah, his, uh, I understand why he's so popular because he is my number one. I, I just love him so much. When we um, went up to Queensland just before Christmas and we sort of just, you know, with the border restrictions and things, so we sort of stopped in Brisbane unexpectedly for a couple of weeks and I ended up going around to Gordy's house for a barbecue every few days because, you know, he's just got that open-door policy, get everybody, come over, and then, you know, to be 10 hours later and be rolling out of there trying to call an Uber and, you know, your cheeks would be sore from laughing and smiling. So, no, Gordy's the best. We're, we're so lucky to have him. But, um, yeah, he is one of a kind, which is probably a good thing. I don't know if we could have too many Gordies running around. <laughs> I reckon it's been a revelation with his his presence on uh, on rugby league coverage and and all the all the uh, programs on Fox because I, I I'm not sure we really saw enough of that. I don't know if the the game itself allowed us to see who he was like that, and now being able to see him um, on on the various programs. And you know what, I really like some of the behind the scenes stuff when you when you see him interacting and um you know bringing laughter to everyone and that sort of thing I, I reckon that's great i'd love to see more of it to be honest yeah he is so candid as well so there really is no off switch for gordy so it is a lot um but we, we absolutely adore him and you know you're right it's the off-camera stuff and he, he actually is the person that brings an entire team together um and i think he's never changed he's always been that same beautiful um, you know, bright-eyed boy from Townsville. And, and I was born in Townsville as well, so a lot of our family know each other. And, you know, it's funny, like, to us, he's Gordon Tallis. He's the raging bull. He's the inspirational captain. You know, follow me, boys. This is how we're going to do it. Um, but up in Townsville, he's Wally's son. So Wally Tallis was a magnificent athlete in his own right and was considered a, an elder in, in the community and very much a leader um, and played cricket toured for Australia with cricket um, and was a great AFL player as well. And so Gordy's dad, Wally, if you go up to, you know, the new Cowboys Stadium, um, yep. it's with the Brown, that precinct of uh, Country Bank Stadium, there is a Gordon, uh, sorry, a Wally Tallis way on the side street just to honour what a magnificent influence um, Wally Tallis was on the, not just the North Queensland community, but for Queensland as well. So, yeah, I mean, Gordy is so enamoured of, of what his father was able to achieve and the man that he was. And, um, yeah, it's beautiful to see. So, yeah, Gordy, he's, he's fun and he's everything, but he's also got a, a beautiful charisma and a, a, an aura to him. And a lot of that comes from his dad, Wally. Gordon occupies a, a similar space for me as someone who watches a lot of international sports to Charles Barkley from inside the NBA. Um, and I don't know if everyone who's listening to this will be familiar with what Charles is to American broadcasting, but he is a beloved identity um, on one of the most popular shows in. And Gordy's similar in the regards that he's a straight shooter. Uh, he brings out the best in, in others on the broadcast because he he's you know charismatic, he's funny, he's willing to take the mickey out of himself too. And, you know, he just seems like such an approachable bloke, like you are saying, Vonnie. Yeah, and that's so true. And I think a lot of people, and especially sports fans, uh, they 
they will accept anyone if you've got if you've messed up or if you've got flaws or if you you know you put your hand up you say sorry guys I got that wrong we will definitely support you but what Australians and sports fans definitely won't cop is that if you pretend to be something you're not and we sort of see we sense it straight away if we don't think someone is being genuine and I think that's why Gordy's so popular because he just is who he is and there's there's no, you know, hidden icebergs with him. There's there's nothing lurking around the corner. It's just Gordy, and um, his openness and honesty is is what makes people want to be around him. Indeed. Now we first met you when you did that brilliant job as the MC of Parramatta's Ken Fournette Medal way back in 2016, which you've something you've done for not just Parramatta but a number of our uh, different clubs and uh, and uh, organisations for a number of years. Our Twitter manager Mitch was incredibly jealous that he wasn't there for that night because he attended a few Ken Fournette medals and that was one he didn't and he managed to miss you. Um, but that, <laughs> that, inve- that event for us was an insight into some of your work away from the TV cameras. Um, outside of COVID, um, you're one of the most uh, busy personalities in rugby league because you occupy some of the most important roles. <laughs> what does a typical footy season week look like for Yvonne Sampson? Um, I remember that Ken Thornet medal uh dinner and it was it was so good and I love getting and it's absolutely privileged to be asked to be part of those um, moments for the club you know whether it's an end of seasons award or a season launch or the community uh, gatherings or you know business networking because I get to meet people like you guys I get to meet people who are involved in the club I get to meet all the fans I get to meet you know the players in a social level and meet their families more importantly and understand a little bit more about where those people are from um, from memory I think Bevan French um, got one of the major awards that night, and I think I was able to talk to his mum and um, and just understand a little bit more. And it was, yeah, those those nights are really really important. Um, so it's always an honour to be part of that. And um, and I think that night we were talking, and uh, you guys asked me how I did all my research. I said, well, I look up what you guys say because you're you're the eyes and ears. You know, you're every single training session, especially with COVID. We just can't get out to every single training session and you know all the the players and the teams they're all up in the Queensland hub now so at the moment I'm just trying to read as much as I can um and that's you know the papers is just where you start I'm sort of I trawl through a lot of fan forums Um, I mean there's there's a lot of rubbish on there but but there are some really genuine um wholehearted people on there who want the best for the club and sometimes their opinions have a lot of merit and I think we should probably listen to the fans a little bit more because they're the ones that are you know, signing up for the memberships. They're the ones that turn turn out every week, you know, rain, hail or shine, losing streaks, winning streaks, heartbreak, jubilation. You guys ride the roller coaster harder than anyone. So, And you see the teams, you see the dynamics as well. So I think, yeah, I try to read as much as I can. I listen to all the midweek press conferences, which can get a little bit dreary. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I think at the moment particularly it's so hard just because we can't really get out of the studio very much. We're not allowed out to any of the clubs we've got the clean and dirty zones games even so you can't just you know and traditionally if you're on the sideline if you're at a game you're able to just sort of drop by and and sort of you know maybe get more of an understanding of what was going on you know with a particular player or in the team or the coach and and you know you just have a little bit more information to go on so you can have an intelligent conversation about what is actually happening you know inside that 80 minutes and beyond um in particular with the Parramatta Eels. So, yeah, it's it's we feel a little bit disconnected at the moment, but everyone's doing their best to just try and, you know, put one foot in front of the other and, and keep it all ticking over. So a general week for me at the moment, I've just got to put the mouth guard in and get through 360 Monday through Wednesday, <laughs> um, <laughs> which has been 
Um, you know, there is absolutely no replacing Ben Iken. He's uh, he's a legend and he did that job so beautifully for, for a decade. And, um, yeah, so there's definitely no replacing him. I'm just sort of doing my best to try and make sure that the show stays on air and, um, and you know, make sure that I'm giving Kenty everything that he needs, um, but I'm bringing enough to the show. It's, it's a little bit daunting, I've got to say, because it's such an established show and there are so many big characters and players that come on that, um, yeah, I just don't want to do the wrong thing or let anyone down for sure because it's such a, it's such an established identity of a show as well. So um, I'm not very argumentative, so um, I've probably got to work on that a little bit. But, um, yeah, 360 has certainly been very different for me. But, yeah, outside of that, I, I, um, I do radio for Big Sports Breakfast every Thursday with um, Laurie Daly and, and um, Pup, and I've done that for a few years, which I love. And then, yeah, Super Saturday, which is just a, <laughs> it's a, it's a long one. And because we've had so many roster changes as well at Fox this year with people not being able to get down, you know, across the borders and things like that. So all our rostering has been all over the shop. So I've I've done everything from Thursday night footy, Friday night footy, Super Saturday, Sunday ticket. Um, it's just, you know, if there's a spare spot in the roster, you just got to jump in and get it done. So, yeah, this year's probably for the second year running now, we've just – Whoever's around, it's just all hands on deck and, and just trying to keep us on air. Well, we really want to dig into that, uh, asking you about uh, 360, and we'll we'll get to that. Um, that that night with the Ken Thornet medal, I, I I marched over Boulder's Brass and just introduced myself to you. And I must admit, I was stunned when I said, you know, our our website's a massive fan of yours. And when you said who is it, and I and I told you the name of the website, you just went, oh yeah, I know it well. And yeah, I, I think I had thinking. printouts in my bag. Yeah. I said, look, here's all the complimentary yeah. printouts that I've been reading. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he said, let me show you something. <laughs> Have a look at this printout. And, um, yeah, but for, for anyone listening, Yvonne um, was just so, um, just won our hearts even more that night because you, you said, where's the rest of the fellas? Um, let me come over and we'll have a bit of a chat. And um, that was your break in between uh, the spots as the MC, and you use that time come over, and you were talking to everyone at our table and moving around, and um, you know everyone's grabbing photos with you, etc. And um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think the we're already big fans, and uh, we became even bigger fans that night. So um, yeah, oh, just that, that was that was a real highlight for us as as part of it, that what we've done over the years as a website. Oh, no, um, thank you. I was I was lucky enough to meet you guys. You're the ones that are there. You're the actual VIPs of the night. I'm I'm just the idiot that gets up and says hello and tries not to ruin everything along the way. Pro- probably selling yourself just a little bit short there, but we'll <laughs> yeah, take the compliment. Just a, just a, just a bit. Uh, let's let's go back in time and give the 16 year old Yvonne Sampson the power to look into the future to see what Yvonne O'Keefe has achieved and what she's doing right now. How do you think she'd react? Um, Yvonne O'Keefe sounds very Irish, I'd have to say. Um, <laughs> so 16-year-old Yvonne Sampson might have thought I was married to some Irishman with 20 kids and <laughs> sitting at home making potatoes or something. Um, so 16-year-old Yvonne would probably be, first of all, very proud of my choice in husband mm. um, because I think teenage Yvonne was probably more concerned with the local rat bags who had motorbikes and wanted to go surfing all weekend. So um, I've definitely overachieved in that regard. Um, but you know what? Even as a, uh, a teenager, I, I always wanted to be a journalist and I 
I, I wanted to be a storyteller, I guess, and because um, I knew that probably my journalism, like I wasn't going to be a frontline war-torn style journalist and I always loved rugby league. So I, I, I really did want to work in rugby league pretty much from the get-go. Um, I just didn't see how that was going to be possible um, because that was a game that I'd just grown up loving. And, you know, people ask me often, oh, you know, did your dad play or have you got brothers or anything? And I don't. I, you know, no one in my – I come from a long line of underachievers. No one's done anything. So, um, I, you know, my dad was a Balmain – he grew up in Balmain. He was a Tigers supporter. So, you know, we – just watch rugby league just because that's what you always did. And um, and I think I remember when the Broncos started up in 88 and I had a very serious conversation with Dan. I said, would it be all right if I became a Broncos supporter <laughs> because we're living <laughs> up in Queensland? And and he was gutted, but, of course, he said yes. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, I mean, initially I wanted to be the girl that rode Buck the Bronco around the perimeter of the ground every time they scored a try. Um but if if I wanted to be serious about it, I, I, I just, yeah, it was hard because there weren't a lot of female voices or faces or influences around rugby league at that time. I think, you know, like you'd watch the footy show and I think the only female on it was Lady Luck. Um, so I just, I didn't know how or when or, you know, eventually that would unfold. But I, I, I went to journalism um, at you know, university and, um, and just really focused on sport. And it wasn't always... Um, I mean, I was turned away for jobs basically for 10 years. Um, but, I, I, you know, I was lucky enough to sort of just stick with it. I think um, I'm pretty stubborn um, and that's probably the only instance where being stubborn has kind of helped and <laughs> paid off um, because, you know, every rejection just became a redirection and mm-hmm. um, worked through the regions. And, yeah, it was, I think, 16-year-old Bonnie, if she sat back now and thought, oh, wow, you know, she was able to work in a game that she loved and she's made some really good friendships along the way and, you know, she loves going to work every single day. It's, um, yeah, she, I, hopefully she'd be pretty impressed. You, you touched on some very important stuff that we do want to talk about just a little bit later and you also kind of uh, preempted something I was going to ask you because you've made it pretty clear that Rugby Week was always the passion, always the ambition. Is there, uh, to sort of divert what I was going to ask from you originally, is there a parallel path where you go into another industry potentially or is it just like one track mind, I'm going to, you know, blaze a trail for Rugby League? Oh, I wish I was that proactive. Um, no, I was never going to blaze any trails. Just, oh, just trying to pay the rent every week. To be honest, I think my first job was um, a sports reporter in Maribor, and I think I, oh god, I think I was on thirty five thousand a year, and um, that barely covered petrol and rent to drive up and down from Maribor. Um, and I, I got there in the summer, so it was all cricket. Um, but then eventually, you know, pre-season starts and you get to meet all the local A-grade footy guys and, you know, you, you, you know, you're able to got the coaches and the, you know, Doreen at the canteen and should become your local contact where the games are on that weekend and who's in and who's out and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think I always wanted to be a sports reporter, I think, in a, in a very alternate universe. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up with horses and my grandfather was a racehorse trainer, so I always had horses around, um, you know, show jumping and dressage and things like that. And I was on the Australian Young Dressage Squad and um, I thought, oh, well, this is it. I'm going to go to the Olympics. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Um, and just didn't realise cripplingly how expensive it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I did, when I was 25, I'd sort of had a gut full of journalism and 
um, and quit and went to work over in Denmark at a dressage stud and um, loved it over there and then worked in a horse stud in Stratford-upon-Avon in, um, you know, just in, in um, not London, outside of London in rural England, um, just prepping yearlings and things like that. So, yeah, I always thought that I would work in horses um, and then by the time, a year or so later when I came home and I still didn't want to be a journalist because I thought oh, I just had really bad experiences where just, you know, I just thought people had told me enough times that it wasn't going to happen and I wasn't good enough and I wasn't suited and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, maybe I should just go back to horses, which is what I sort of grew up with. Um, and I thought maybe I would work in racing or, you know, Equestrian Federation Australia or something like that. But um, luckily enough, I came home poor as a church mouse, um, had nothing else to do. So I had to go back straight away to freelance work at my um, local newsroom. And yeah, from there, it just really sort of took off when I was about 27, I think. Well, the rugby league community is certainly uh, very grateful for that sliding, <laughs> that sliding doors moment, isn't it? Because you've uh, come, not not just yourself, like, but you've, you've helped the game grow so much. So it's, in, you know, that the fact that you had that junction in your career where it could have gone another way is uh, an incredible what if for rugby league. And we're thankful that it went the right way there. No, me too. <laughs> I'm very grateful. Um, yeah, because now I've, I've yeah, I think I've got the best job in the world. I'm I'm so so lucky. So, yeah. And my dad passed away when I was 19. So, and because he was such a, a huge rugby league fan, and and I think he'd be pretty chuffed as well. Well, that that leads in nicely because my question is about the game now. What is it about the game that makes you a fan? Oh, see, I was lucky enough to really fall in love with the game late 80s, early 90s. And as a Broncos fan, it was like we were untouchable. It's, you know, Wally and Alfie and Kevy and Steve Ranoff and Gordy, of course, and Lockie. And, Pretty reasonable um, team, yeah. They're not, not too yeah, bad. You know, like just crazy and still legends to this day. So, um, you know, you'd go to school and everyone would be running around, you know, pretending to be Wally. I was my first crush, and this is when I realised I wasn't quite normal. My first crush was Paul Hoff. And so I had a little <laughs> poster of <laughs> Paul, Paul Hoff on my bedroom. And like all my other little girlfriends, you know, they had, um, was it like from TV Week? And they'd have like the home and away heartthrob up on their, their bedroom wall. And here I was with Paul Hoff, you know, trying to trade Tarzos of Paul Hoff at Little Lunch. Um, so, yeah, I've always been a, a massive rugby league fan. And I think, I think Origin had a big influence on not just me but, but all young Queenslanders at that point as well. Um, I think that was such a, a moment for our identity as, you know, who are we? Well, we weren't good enough to be in the Sydney comp and, you know, and it, you know we were almost encouraged to have that chip on our shoulder um, against all the Sydney siders and the Sydney teams. So, yeah, when State of Origin would come around and, um, you know, you'd see all your heroes in action and, you know, just watching Mal and, yeah, it was just such a big time just for, you know, what we stood for and, and rugby league was central to that. So, yeah, I've just, I've always been a fan. And I think because our family, you know, Origin was such a big deal for the family, it was you know, the one time that mum would go and get like chips and treats and things like that and we were allowed takeaway. And so I think for me, rugby league became about family time and that's probably why I still love it so much. No, very, very good answer. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways you can approach a question like that because league is such a unique code in the context of world sport. You know, I love NFL as well, but league is so gladiatorial and there's a fluency and, and an ever-present uh, sense of opportunity for either team that makes it so interesting. Like the full 80 minutes, there's always something at stake. There's very little downtime. So 
Um, but that that family element's huge too, Yvonne, and that's a, a great way to uh, cap that question off. I think. No, oh, and I remember my favourite part was before Origin, they you know introduced the team card, and it would be, you know, oh, I don't know, the, but you know Bob Smith from Bow Desert Blowflies or something like that, you know, and you'd be like, oh my god, they're from down the road, yep. oh my god, <laughs> he's so cool, you know, Billy Slater, Innisfail Leprechauns or whatever they are. <laughs> it was just so fun, and like you know, again, it just gave you that sense of, oh, they're from here and look at them now. They're on the big stage and, yeah, and they represented, you know, everyone that, you know, no no one really had. I grew up in r- rural Queensland and, you know, no one really had a lot of money and, and then you think, oh, wow, look how look how far they've gone. You know, they've oh, I saw their, their cousins the other day. So, yeah, it is funny. You just you want to have that sense of connection and, um, yeah, rugby league certainly did that. Now, our amateur endeavours in this field have sort of uh, put the door ajar and given us just a little crack of insight into what this uh, looks like. But uh, thinking about the career side of the game, what do you love about the Water Rugby League uh, from the journalism or media perspective? Uh, I love being able to um, have a voice in the game and, and, you know, journalism and media and and sports broadcast, they're all different, but... I've said before, I think it's the greatest job in the world to be able to share a season or a career defining moment, you know, live as it unfolds with that player or that team or the fans um, is such a joy. And there's no other way of capturing something that you still reference. Like, you know, we're all fans here and we can all remember, you know, where you were with your favourite grand final or you know, the, the, the saddest loss or, you know, it's it's those moments that stay with you. So for, for me to be involved um, in delivering that information and communicating what's going on is, is so great and I love that about our game and I love that about our industry. And I think, like, if I think about, you know, the 2015 grand final for me, but obviously being from Queensland, it was such a historic decider and um, that was certainly a career-defining moment for me. It was just the elation of it, the the... The energy and the um, just the quality of that game and that contest and and to be sitting sidelines. So the I was working for Wildwater Sports at the time, and so the plan was um, Darren Lockyer. If the Broncos won, would go we'd go straight to him and he'd interview you know whoever he could be, you know, Ben Hunt or Milford or whoever he could get his hands on. And Gordy was on the other side of me on the sideline, and being from Townsville, he was going to be the Cowboys correspondent, you know, for want of a better description. So. You know, he'd get JT or Gavin Cooper or whoever. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> as it unfolded, it was – you guys remember how chaotic it was. That manic ending, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Kyle fell down the sideline into the, yeah. the full goal in extra time. That's right. That's right. And then – so once JT booted that field goal and everything just sort of went into slow motion. So we were up and and I was just going to do the crumbing. Like I was just going to pick up the extra interviews that, you know, Lockie or Gordy didn't want to do. And I look over and Gordy's run onto the field with his arms in the air. <laughs> like, like he's just won the World oh, Cup. That is, that is peak Gordy, isn't it? <laughs> and he's got, he's left his microphone, he's thrown that, he's run onto the field celebrating with all the North Queensland boys. And then I turn around going, oh, well, where's Lockie? And Lockie is a shattered human. He's got his head in his hands. He hasn't left his seat. He's still oh. sitting there staring at the ground. And so I've got it in my IFB now, earpiece, going, get JT, get JT, get JT. So I was like, now I'm running, trying to, to find JT, who was 
you know, somewhere in the middle of this whirlpool of washing machine of players and sweat and tears and joy. And so I finally got JT. Um, They said, go, 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 go. I couldn't hear anything by this point. JT is so bewildered about what's just happened. He's looking right through me like he knows I'm standing beside him, but he has no concept of what's happening. You know when people are just, you know, so otherworldly at that point, they can't comprehend what's happening. So I had to grab his jersey just because he was just like we were sort of theatering around. We were doing circles around each other. And I think it's one of the worst interviews that's ever gone to air in TV, but it was such a good moment because I just didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to say. Um, it was just one of those moments that maybe you've just got to let the, the moment breathe. But, yeah, it was um, it was just a phenomenal moment for me. So I think moments like that um, and memories like that definitely make me believe that um, sports journalism and broadcasts and things like that have such a big place. What you just described, Vonnie, sounds like the equivalent of like a renaissance Renaissance painting of the duality of rugby league because you've got the, the chaos of the prim, the breakthrough premiership victory of the Cowboys. You're in there, give, been given the missive live to you know you've got to go get JT. And then on on one hand, Lockie shattered. On the other hand, Gordy's exhilarated and exuberant. And you, I can just picture the, the the painting now. It's an incredible uh, description what you just gave us. Oh, it was ridiculous. And then after JT, I think we did a couple of other interviews. And then they said, "Quick, get a Bronco and." Um, and I, I went over to Sam Thiday, who was just sitting on the floor, on the on the grass, and I said, oh, Sam, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And he looked up at me with this, like, the saddest look, like, you know, like when you, like there's a puppy in the window and you can't take it, like he was so sad and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, yeah, that'd be all right. But he didn't stand up. And so I was like, oh, okay, we're, I guess I'll just sit down. So I sort of. I just sat beside him on the grass and, and um, yeah, I think that, that that was such a contrast between, you know, just a few metres away, the Cowboys have launched into this, you know, ecstasy-like moment and, and then there's the Broncos who, you know, Sam Thido was just sitting on the grass, his boots half off, just a shattered, shattered human. So, yeah, you're right. It was – there's so much happening in that moment. It all goes very quickly and at the end of those days you drive home and, Usually you've got a big headache because you haven't drunk any water and you're like, you're like, wait, did I have breakfast this morning? I can't remember. What day is it? Um, but, yeah, it's, they're, they're certainly – they're the ones that stay with you. This comes across as a bit of a loaded question, but is there anything in that world of uh, journalism and media for rugby week and sports in general that you would change if you could? Oh, heaps. <laughs> I think I think we all would, you know, strive to be better and, and do better. And um, I think – I think plenty of media, um, people in the media, journalists, media outlets, um, we have a responsibility to to question the game and challenge the game and challenge the players and challenge the the decision makers. But we've also got a responsibility to champion the game when we can. And I think that sometimes we can get caught up in the agendas and the alliances and some of the negativity and and we forget actually what a great game we've got on our hands. And there are so many quality people who have a genuine heart and and want to see the game grow and evolve and and stay, you know, um, stay at the top of, of what we love to do and what brings people together. Um, yeah, I think sometimes it would be, I think we just miss that bigger picture sometimes and we, we just get stuck in the, in the quagmire that rugby league can be. Um, you know, we've had some dreadful headlines and, I mean, you guys would know as well. I mean, when people say, oh, why do you support rugby league? Isn't that, you know, they... They've got terrible attitudes towards women and, 
you know, they're, oh, that's that's the one where you stick fingers up each other's bottoms and things like that. Like, you know, just yep. ugly little moments. They they tend to leave residue on the game. And mm-hmm. um, and I, I love it. I love rugby league. I love the people I've met in rugby league. And I think it's probably the media's role to probably not, not be Pollyannas about it, but I think we've also just got to champion the game and give it a pat on the back every now and again and say it's done a good job because it has. I, I suppose there's a... There's an equivalent to that as well, I think, with supporters where um, because there's passions involved with the game and because everyone's got a a bit of a platform, when there's the tougher times, I think supporters become especially critical of their own team and and it's easy to forget the positive side and the hard work and everything like that that goes into the the team going out on the field and performing and, and what have you and it's um, I, I think it's just typical of um, investment and emotion in the game. Would you think that's a, a fair analogy? Yeah, definitely. And that tribalism and that, you know, parochialism, that's what rugby league thrives on. And, you know, your players and it can let you down and fans get really, you know, down. And, oh, you're not worth a million bucks. He's a bum. Get rid of him. And, yeah. you know, but we, that's sports fans <laughs> everywhere. You know, that's, that's, what yeah, it that's, is. that's the big thing is that, uh, you know, at TCT, it's been an emotionally charged two weeks for a lot of our supporters. We've had, you know, those sort of expected cries of sack the coach, sack the players after back-to-back losses in tough games. But that's not unique to rugby league. I, I mean, I support the Seahawks in the NFL, and um, as soon as you drop a game over there, there's calls to drop their uh, championship-winning coach, Pete Carroll, and move on half the playing roster. It, it is amazing what emotions sports can evoke. But of those sports, it feels like rugby league often brings out some of the strongest. Oh, look, I'm married to a Dragons fan and it is torture, like absolute torture. So he's got his WhatsApp group going with all these other Dragons fans. They can't enjoy a game, like even when the game, even when they're ahead, they're like, oh, we're going to lose this. How are we going to lose it? That that sounds so familiar. (laughs) Isn't it? It's just, I'm like, you're taking what should be a pleasurable experience of watching your favourite team and you're making it impossible to enjoy it so bad. You just sabotage the whole thing. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, and they're the same. They're like, oh, I've got to get rid of Mary. Oh, oust, doused and all this sort of stuff. It's like, my God. It's, yeah, you're right. It's not unique to us, but it feels very loud because that's the that's the world that we all live in, right? So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I have to say I do love rugby league fans. They're, they're my favourite people. They're very funny and I think, um, you know, socials I think on the whole are quite good. They can get a little bit out of hand, but I think rugby league Twitter is probably uh, one of the funniest places to take a tour to every now and again. There, there are some... Uh very uh, humorous minds on our social media for certain. Yeah, now, we, without going too much into it, um, there is still this question of gender. And I, I want to give a nod to someone like Debbie Spillane because um, she was a real pioneer in, in uh, bringing uh, women into the coverage of rugby league. But now we've got yourself, um, Lara Pitt, Hannah Hollis, Jess Yates, Megan... Barnard spearheading Fox League's coverage of the game. Have we reached that stage where gender isn't a barrier in uh, a rugby league media career? Yeah, hopefully. Um, and I think, you know, it's funny when I've lost, missed out on jobs or not been considered for things in the past. And, you know, and, and it's funny, it's only ever the bosses that say, oh, well, we didn't want a woman. And you go, oh, gosh, that's right. I forgot. Like, 
you know, I was, I'm just a journalist or I was just a young reporter just trying to do a job. And then it's it's funny that they saw a female and they say, oh, no, well, we, we can't have a woman's voice on this. It needs to be a man's voice. Um, Jeez, that's, that's frustrating so to hear, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's we've come a long way, obviously, and that, I guess that's to your point. I think hopefully no longer those conversations happen. Um, I think we're all – all we want to do is just be um, hired on merit, and exactly. that's anyone in any 100%. industry. So if we're doing a good job, um, you know, no one wants to be elevated beyond their ability. No one wants to get, you know, a free handout because they wanted to level up the playing field with gender equality. I think we've all, I've known Lara Pitt for for a decade or more since I first moved down to Sydney and, you know, it was her and I, you know, in the dressing rooms and, you know, it was, she's an excellent hard worker and I know that she's never seen herself as a female first and foremost either. It was just we're two journos just trying to get our, stories done and and um, interviews done so that we can package up and and do a good job for the night so yeah you're right Debbie Spillane and, and Margie McDonald and um, you know Rebecca Wilson and and they had a very different experience and I can't imagine how some of those conversations went down to their face um, and how much uh, sexism that they faced but you know we're, we're very lucky and um, yeah hopefully you know it's funny I think um, when I first sort of started and people said god you do a good job for a woman and i know they meant it as a good way <laughs> yes. no and, and yes. they meant it as a compliment yeah. and and i took it as a compliment i honestly did but i think now the, the, i'm hearing less of that it, and the, it's more like the casual sexism like the, the yeah. was, like it, yeah. it wasn't coming across as a malicious thing but it's like wow you did a good job for a girl like yeah exactly but, despite your gender disability yeah. you did a good job yeah <laughs> i think that's that's something that really jumped out to me about the crew at foxes assembled is that, like you mentioned to it wasn't affirmative action. These are women that are just genuinely passionate and love the game, and you can see that reflected in the way they carry themselves with their knowledge, with the way they engage in their roles in the media. Like, they they, just, they kill it because yeah, it's totally. something something that they're really passionate about. Yeah, and, and again, back to Lara. I mean, she's such – and she won't mind me saying, but she's such a rugby league nerd. Yeah, and oh, yeah. She, she, it, it really comes across when she's on TV. She loves yeah. her footy. Yeah. She loves it and she's on the phone all the time and there's no one in the game that won't pick up Lara's phone call. Like she's obvious, she's got everyone on the hotline. It's unbelievable. Um, and just to see her go to work like that is is really good to see as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, the gender thing, I know we've still got women in league ground and all that sort of stuff, but that's actually not for us. I don't think that's for, you know, every support network and at club level and the, and the people that probably don't get um, a lot of recognitions through the years. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, hopefully we're at a point where we won't need to have a separate round. It's just a very normal, accepted thing that, uh, you know, and it reflects the community. I mean, my grandmother, she's 94, she's a rugby league fan. My mum, she's 72, she's a rugby league fan. Um, you know, there are so many female rugby league fans. We're all just fans at the end of the day. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It, it is good to see that we have so many females involved and it's actually not an issue at work at all. Yeah, it's actually it's it's funny when you were talking about your your um your mum and that with the with the supporting and uh my own mother hated rugby league when my dad was playing and yes. when he was going off to watch games after they were first married because she she didn't she just wasn't in, interested in it but then she gradually got interested and she became like an absolute lunatic Died in the in world. <laughs> And you know where where it got to the stage where like a win or a loss for Parra was water off a duck's back for my father, 
I, I used to, if I was at the game and it was an away game and mum didn't go to the away game, I used to ring up to find out if it was safe to come home. <laughs> if it, after all, I was like, because she, she'd be on the war path and you couldn't talk to her. Like she would yeah. just be so distraught with a, with a loss. So, um, yeah, it's, it, 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 is, it is really something where, as you say, um, it doesn't matter, male or female, it's the, the passion. It's all about the passion for the game and the knowledge of the game and, and being able to do a great job. I, I was actually a bit reluctant to even ask that question, but when I was thinking about your career, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, it, reflecting back, it's still there's still a pioneering that's gone on with being like um, the face of Fox League, which basically you have become the face of Fox League as much as there's uh, you know plenty of other respected people that are on the um, on that on that channel. That's that's give, a spot that you're even close, uh, which I mean. I'm very uncomfortable about. And when we have to do our promos, it's the worst day of the year. They usually get us together in February, and then everyone teases each other because we all got fat in the off season. And then you know, and you're trying to get into your clothes that you wore at the end of last year, and nothing fits. And you're like, oh no, now we've got to get our photo taken. You're like, oh my god, can you just like, go and I do Photoshop or something? Because it's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny because, you know, they'll push you to the front and say, all right, well, Vonnie over here, and, and then everyone will, you know, like Fletch, and they'll be like, oh, well, here she comes, oh, big dog, here she is. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. quite embarrassing. <laughs> they, um, they... As, as, I was going to say, it's funny, my, my pre-season ritual is always getting out all the supporter gear and stretching it. That's my oh, reason. No. <laughs> I know. I blame the washing machine. I go, oh, that I must have put that in the dryer. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely shrunk it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but now, just just on that, um, on the on the gigs at Fox, you've taken on that role of uh, the hosting the three hundred and sixty. How does hosting that program differ from your other hosting roles? Yeah, it's really different, and I don't think I've quite got the hang of it yet, if I'm being honest. Um, it's, it is so different because it's more of a conversation, and I think what I've always been so comfortable with is welcoming people, saying, you know, welcome to your Friday Night Footy or Super Saturday, whatever it is. These are the games we've got. This is the storylines leading into it. This is what Player X and Player Y have done. Um, and then my job there is basically just a facilitator. I'll, I'll, it's my job to get the best out of Cooper Cronk or the best out of Greg, Greg Alexander or, you know, try and push Mick into a place where he's able to articulate something that we haven't heard about a team that he's heard through the week and he's able to, you know, give us more information that we, we ever thought. So that's my role very much was just ask questions, make sure we get in and out of ad breaks very cleanly. So for 360, it's a bit harder because they are, it's more, a, you know, you've got to have an opinion. Um, you've got to be really comfortable to have a bit of conflict within that discussion, which is, which is totally fine. And I don't mind being challenged at all, but yeah, it's just very different um, because all the journos are so well researched. They've got Oh, so much information just <laughs> bouncing around in their, their minds. And so all of a sudden the conversation will go off on a different tangent. And I'm thinking, oh, I actually don't know how I feel about this yet or I don't know, you know, I want to be – like, for instance, the Clint Gutherson stuff came up this week and, um, you know, he came out and apologised after he gave Tom Opacek a bit of a spray. And I said, you know, I actually don't – because Kenty said that's fine, whatever goes on the field stays on the field, they wouldn't have sweated that at all. Um, and I actually said I don't think that's the leader that Clint Gutherson wants to be. I think yep. I know him privately he would want to be regarded as a, um, 
you know, just a different type of captain and have a different leadership tone with his players. You don't want to be having to come out on a Monday and apologise for something you said last week. It's just, you know, that's not what Clint's about and we, we know that he wants to be a different type of leader. So just things like that where I think, oh, gosh, I'll, and, you know, I drive home and I think, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. And, of course, all the best responses come, you know, an hour too late. Um <laughs> <laughs> do you find that when you oh, yeah. when you have conversations? Oh, yeah. oh I should have said that. Um, so it's yeah, like it's, George it's, it's in Seinfeld the, with his comeback line at the um, <laughs> yeah. that episode. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can yell it the out airport. the window. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So no, it is very different. I'm just I'm still trying to get the hang of it. Uh, I'm going to deviate a little bit here, but your co-host, Paul Kent, is a strongly opinionated man, and he's he's a sort of individual that really drives a show like 360, and I imagine there's a lot of fans that have a bone to pick of him. But I must say, I, I've mellowed a lot in Kenty in recent times. Um, I don't always agree with his opinions, but he, um, he vocalises them in a way that always engages a good discussion. Um, what, yeah. What's, what's he like as a, you know, to work with? <laughs> That is the one question I get asked a lot. What's that Kent like, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm lucky enough before I jumped on the show, so Kenty moved around the corner for me a couple of years ago. And because he was there and, you know, in the off-season, there's not much to do. So, I, you know, we started hanging out and going to the pub and, you know, having a bed on a Saturday and doing whatever. So we sort of we became very good friends. And, you know, if we had a spare night off or something, we'd obviously just go down to the pub, have a feed and, you know, he just told me about footy and because he, he loves a chat um, and loves a stink. So it's it is a, so we had we had a really good little crew happening around uh, where we live. Um, and it's funny getting to know Kenty socially. Um, he's actually very different to what you expect. He's very loyal. Um, he's extremely intelligent. Um, he will defend people to the nth degree if he believes that they've been wronged in any way. Very similar to Gordy. He and Gordy get along quite well because they're very black and white and they both can sit in an argument for hours and <laughs> happily. I can definitely imagine that one, yeah. Happily. It's it's, it's fascinating to watch. Um, so, I, you know, Kenty gets a bad rap because, you know, he gets on there and he gets cranky and, you know, sometimes he's got to be the bad guy. Um, but he's, if you actually knew Kenty, it would ruin his reputation. He's he's actually kind of happy. <laughs> <laughs> It would it would ruin the illusion. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think maybe he's got to be, you know, the the big bad guy on TV because um, away from the camera, he's actually very fun, and we we do we laugh and laugh. Um, you know, when we're out having a beer. So yeah, it's, he's very different. That's I mean, for sure. He, he does occupy. He is good times. He is good times with Paul Kent. Then <laughs> that's right. That's actual Kenty. Good times. But he obviously <laughs> occupies a very important role because if you bring balance to the panel like I can did before you, he's the one that really challenges people right he, he, he galvanizes a lot of that uh critical discussion and i, I must say like i said i've really mellowed on kenny because relative to his uh uh contemporaries in american media where you got like stephen a smith and a couple of more uh provocateurs i suppose the ones that really push discussion to places that probably shouldn't go i think kenny does a pretty good job of uh managing that difficult task where you want to you know push the envelope and, and talk about uncomfortable things at times or attack a, a discussion from a certain angle that people might not have thought of but he doesn't take it too far i think now 
Or like- no, totally. I, I would 100% agree with you. And he's he's very good at being the agitator and he can he can argue both sides of the coin, which is such a skill. Um, mm-hmm. But he's just he's so clever and I just worry that sometimes I'm going to say something and he just takes pity on me. I can see it in his <laughs> eyes where he goes, oh, no, she's not up for this. <laughs> and I'll say something idiotic and he goes, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. He got the VIP treatment recently too for the boxing bout. Got up in the the tux and flown to the the game to the the back from the studio. So yes, interesting interesting moment there for him. But that would have um, would have been pretty fun. But uh, so I think that was because it was my first week, and so because I still had the training wheels on, they didn't want to take Kenty away. <laughs> And so they said, right, well, Kenty, can you do the first half of the show and we'll chop you up? Like the good old days of TV I've been told about, you know, where Kerry Packer was flying people just out to, you know, Rab's out to call the Penrith game and, you know, rubbish like that. So, um, yeah, so Kenty got the the James Bond treatment. He got the the Fox Copter all the way up to Newcastle. So, yeah, no, I think that was because of me because I was, I think I was brand new and they were like, oh. Who knows what's going to happen if we leave her on her own? So. <laughs> no, you've done. You you hit you hit the ground running there. You've done a fantastic job at three sixty. But on the flip side to Kenty, and we've already spoken about someone like Gordy just before. But in, in terms of three sixty, I always have fun seeing how loose guys like Tooze and Spud can get when they're trying to beat the bomb. And I think recently uh, watching Tooze uh, jive Spud about his book was a particularly memorable moment where obviously good natured ribbing and and they gave uh, Spider a chance to then uh, do the sell. But whether it's <laughs> whether it's media types or players, you've you've seen them all and you've been in, around them so long now. Who cracks you up the most? Oh, good question. Um, it is genuinely a funny place to work because they are, you know, and even at Wild Water Sports, they were very funny. Like Joey's very underground funny in a self deprecating kind of way. Um, Brian Fletcher is probably just flat out funny. Like he is just a funny dude. He says he's he's a weird unit and he just makes it hilarious. Um, it's funny, like Cooper Cronk and then Greg Alexander have struck up a really good friendship, so they giggle all the time through Super Saturday. Um, it's really it's really cute to see, actually. So Cooper will sit there and go, but Brandy, what about this? And like be talking about the early 90s. And, um, yeah, so they're quite funny together. They're like, you know, little Bobsy twins. Uh, Michael Ennis. I know he can be quite divisive and we know how good he was on the the menace. Um, We know how good he was on the chirp and uh, how good he was at sledging. So the hilarious thing is he still does it while he's watching footy. So we'll be watching games and he'll just call out a player, you know, like say, let's say for instance, there's a very slow moving forward who's just trundling up to the defensive line for the hit up and making no effort. He goes, oh, mate. He looks like Jane Savile. That was a power walk, honestly. Like, <laughs> it's actually uh, so You can take funny. the boy out of dummy half, but you can't take the yeah. dummy half out of the boy, i tell you what. So, so his sledging is still alive and well. It's just only we hear it now, which is quite funny. Um, but, yeah, they are, they're funny. They are good to hang out with. Um, but, yeah, who's probably the funniest, just flat-out funny is probably Fletch. Yeah, definitely. Now, and just on that with um, with Fletch and the and the – funny people that are there um last year when COVID brought nrl to a halt we had those extended morning and afternoon programs on fox league as there was there was no matches and uh, all of a sudden the, the standard programming wasn't there but but we had what was almost like extended podcasts uh and L- rugby league wasn't always what was being discussed um <laughs> how how much of that was actually um just winging it, just going in there and winging what's 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 going to happen. 
Yeah, fair amount, sadly, because um, we, <laughs> we were like everyone else. And, you know, they'd sort of say, oh, we'll get a FaceTime up. You're like, oh, yeah, who, who do you reckon? They're like, don't know. We're just going to start calling people. I'm like, okay, um, <laughs> rugby league players or just anyone? They're like, well, not sure. So, yeah, you're right. It was, And I'm sure it's that's how ropey it looked. It was very unproduced. It was just us sort of sitting there. It was a really sad talk, so we weren't sure what was happening with the game. We were hearing things from Volandis like, catastrophic financial collapse and things like that. We were like, oh, no, this is dreadful. Why are we so poor? Why can't we play? What's happening? Um, so I think we were all just willing to just come in and, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully we offered a little bit of entertainment, but I don't know if we got to the bottom of any big issues through those endless hours. Um, well, yeah, I, I, actually, I, actually enjoy, I actually enjoyed it because I, I think that was one of those moments that I talked about before that I like seeing with Gordy. But where yeah. you get to you get to see a little bit more of the of the people. There was a you know, I'd see a little bit more of Braith and Astor's opinions on things or um or as you say, you you, you could be talking to anyone or it, and, and it just had that feel of um, you know, we're just gonna make this happen. But there was an entertaining yeah. aspect of that. So oh, I'm um, glad but, someone enjoyed it because we weren't sure if anyone was watching and um yeah, so I think that was probably as close to when we all go out, you know, at the end of season and we go and have a few drinks and, and that's probably as close to what those conversations are, you know. that's um That was basically all of us just sort of turning up and doing our best and, you know, just sort of saying, well, how are you going? Yeah, I don't know. How are you going? Well, let's ask this person how they're going. <laughs> like, it was all very loose. And, um, well, you know, was... I think there's pe- people like to live vicariously through rugby league identities and uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that – love to be able to sit down and have a have a beer with yourself or any of the other the presenters that are there or people that are, or, or players former players so moments like that are, i think are as close as we get to listening to casual conference uh, conversations between people that we watch all the time and you it, it's almost like you feel and you're getting to know the person a little bit more so uh certainly i enjoyed it anyway Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, we, we certainly, I think we just sort of sat down and just started talking and yeah, you're right. That's probably as real as it got because <laughs> <laughs> we were just sort of on air and away we go. And um, yeah, a couple of hours later, they were like, right, out, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, now, just on that and having to having to do things on the fly, that, that COVID interruption happened at the start of last year's season, but now we're having it happen at the end of this year's season. and. Rightly, Peter Volandis and Abdo are getting a lot of praise for how we're being navigated through it as a, as a code. But surely there's some recognition for the broadcasters for flexibility and capacity to deal with this sort of sudden change. Yeah, well, we're we're just um, solution driven. You've got to be. You can't be petty and you can't really try to bargain down the NRL at this point. It's not the right time. So we just wanted a product. We wanted games to get to air. Um, you know, we were moving crews and trucks and, you know, every time you've gone to a game and um, there's those big NEP trucks, the broadcast trucks out the back and, you know, so those take a lot of um, setting up and rigging and all that sort of stuff and the cameramen and the producers and the directors and the um, audio and all that sort of stuff, it, all of it goes in and it's just, um, it, it, it impacts a lot of people. So we obviously, Fox, were very proactive in just doing whatever it takes to just get us back into business and back on air and um, making sure that we kept all those people employed as well because, it's it, it, you know, there's hundreds of people, you know, across Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland who all rely on uh, the weekly 
uh, games for their livelihoods and their wages and their salaries. So, yeah, we were really keen to just get back into work and um, and make sure that we were able to be there once we did eventually get back into business. So, yeah, thankfully we were. And I think you can't be too petty about, like, you know, even on Saturday just gone and we had to suspend those games just for um, the Super Saturday and we pushed them to the Sunday. And so that meant we missed out on what was supposed to be the big blockbuster, Panthers and Storm, but that ended up becoming um, a shared broadcast uh, with Channel 9 as well. So things like that, you just can't sweat. You just got to move on and make sure it just happens and make sure that we're still giving the fans a, a quality product. And I, I suppose this not not a silver lining, but more of a, uh, a generational or, or timeline fortuitous moment is the fact that in the social media age you can connect the players so easily from the media uh because of smartphones and and you know the obviously the better data connections that we have now so at least you don't lose that side of things to COVID. because if you go back you know a few years it'd be almost impossible to be in a bubble but be able to have the access to the players that we still have Oh, can you imagine trying to do it without phones? Like, <laughs> get your oh. old VCR recorder in to, uh, and, you know, get a tape and try and put the tape into somewhere to get it down to Sydney to make, no, it'd be a disaster. But you're right, we're just, with technology now, the, our, our phones are our TVs, our phones are our, um, you know, interview devices, our phones are our recorders. It's, um, yeah, it's, it makes it far easier. You know what does bug me, though, when we're trying to do a FaceTime with a player and all these idiot mates start calling him? So, <laughs> and it ruins the interview yep. because the players get thrown off pretty quick anyway, yep. you know. So um, we've actually started just getting them to either pre-record it before the um, the mates see them on TV so the, the interview's already done <laughs> or we try and put it on, I think it's aeroplane mode. Um, yeah, yeah, the uh, do not, like, do not disturb mode, yeah. Yeah, or if we do a Zoom link and then they can't get interrupted. So, yes, phones are a blessing, but then those pests inside their playing group make sure that um, they uh, ruin whatever we're trying to do for sure. It's annoying. <laughs> now, uh, when I say we've dipped our toes into the water, I don't mean we're talking about the ocean or even a pool or even a kiddies pool. For 60s and myself, it's more like getting a bucket of water on a hot day and putting our feet into it. That's as far as out. Dipping the pool goes into broadcasting because this year we had a, a, a the fortune to have a crack at calling some New South Wales Cup games and some Jersey Flag games uh, by virtue of the good grace of the New South Wales Rugby League. And I'll tell you what, uh, neutrality can be a bit of a challenge at times. Obviously, we're uh, very dyed in wool and and coming at the game from the perspective of a Parramatta fan. Uh, and sometimes we had to uh, just abandon all pretenses and pretend not to have it. But have you had um, any testing moments in for you and your career in that regard, given that you know, you're know you a Broncos fan, you're a Queensland fan, very passionate state of origin? Has there ever been times where in a game it's just been you've really had to bite your tongue or it's even slipped? Um, I think oh, I try to be very neutral, but I'm sure there are moments where, you know, I've asked a loaded question, um, <laughs> especially when it comes to Queensland. Um, or I've looked extra pleased with myself after a <laughs> yeah. state of origin series. That's fair enough, I think. The, um, <laughs> that, that rivalry sort of transcends uh, broadcast neutrality. Yeah, it was. I think uh, when I first started working on Origin, I was um, back at nine, and um, you know, so I'm sitting there beside Wally Lewis and Andrew Johns and Gus, and it was just crazy. And and they're so like they don't care. They will just wear it all at the front on the sleeve for everyone to see. Um, so Wally was pumped. He was running around the desk and, you know, clapping and cheering and then Joey would just get a bottle of water and throw it and sit there and sulk and be upset. And, yeah, so it was um, – I think once I see their reactions, it doesn't make me feel as bad. But, yeah, I try <laughs> to stay 
neutral. It's funny though, like some um, some fan groups, like I think Manly fans think I hate Manly for some reason. Then there was like a, a weird time where South fans were on to me going, oh, you hate the bunnies. I'm like, no, so I it, don't. It's, it's funny don't. you say it because there are certain media identities where I think that some fans, can, you can understand why they feel like they'd be aggrieved at a perceived bias, but you really come across as a, you know, because of the, you're, you're the MC or the the, the person that's running a lot of these panels, you really do come across as a, a neutral identity. So I don't really know where people... Hopefully. You, you, I don't really know where people are getting that because you really do come across as neutral. And I, I know Parramatta fans in particular, we, we have a, a pretty big persecution complex. We do feel like, <laughs> we do feel like a lot of the media's out to get us. Um, you but, do get a little bit paranoid, the Parramatta yeah, fans. Just a tad. I have to say that I, I've never felt that from you. You've always been fantastic oh, and neutral. Good. Well, the, the, the fact is there's something to cheer about for every single team we've got in this comp. You know, you mightn't be able to get behind them 100% of the time, but there's usually something that you can go, I support that from that team. I, You know, I'm behind that player. I'm backing that, you know, that coach or whatever it is. Uh, and I think that's that's the job. You've got to find positivity in, in every single game. And you've got – you can't actually indulge yourself to go, oh, well, I don't like, you know, this team because of this. Um, certainly there are – you know, characters at certain clubs where you go, well, geez, it's hard to get behind him, but, um, you know, we'll make it work. But, yeah, I think mostly I, I love watching everyone play, really. Good question. Oh, good answer, sorry. Not a good question. The the answer was much better than the question. <laughs> uh, now, the next one I want to ask you about, this is something that we've spoken about with uh, Parramatta uh, staff members, Matt Brady, and especially Joey, Joey Grimer. So we've been, you know, consistently informed on the matter, but... Female participation in rugby league represents the most significant growth sector of our great game, um, starting from pathways right through to the NRLW. From your media vantage point, uh, what do you think that the NRLW and beyond, so including state of origin and, and junior pathways, what, what do you think it's at and what progression do you want to see next? I think they've done such a great job. Um, and talking to the women that are involved, and it's great to see that the NRLW at the moment is going to be a standalone premiership because we were worried just with COVID that it may miss out, but it's going to be a six-week competition. So the grand, the NRLW grand final will be in the first weekend of November. So that'll be exciting. And they've expanded to six teams now. So Titans, Knights, uh, Eels, you guys have got a team, which is we, wonderful We are very to see. excited, yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I think such a strong footprint for uh, women's rugby league as well um, in and around that part of Sydney. Uh, so you guys will be joining Brisbane Dragons and the Roosters. Sadly, the Warriors have had to dip out but just because of the travel mm-hmm. and um, it's just all too hard for the uh, New Zealand women. But wonderful to see the Blue and Golds um, because I know how much uh, rugby league is is so well respected in that part and I think the quality is what has been um, the, the priority and talking to the women who are involved in the NRLW, yes, they want expansion, but they want it to be a, a genuine rollout and just to sort of throw it open to more teams, just to have more games just for games' sake um, was never the way forward. So they're very pleased that they have enough player stocks and the quality of those stocks to, to deliver a good product as well. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I love Women's state of origin, uh, I think we're probably very close to pushing it out to a best, best of three, of three series, yeah. yeah, which is great. Um, and I love the Indigenous and Maori All-Stars. Uh, the women are so passionate to be able to represent their families, their culture, their heritage, um, and I love seeing that every year in the nines as well because that brings in um, you know a different skill set for the women as well. So a lot of touch players, um, a lot of rugby sevens players are able to just jump into the nines and you know, up the tempo a little bit. So, yeah, I love the women's game and I think um, you can appreciate it because it's it's different. And if you're turning on to watch the men, you're not watching it for the right reasons. You've got to be appreciative of 
uh, where these women have come from and how hard they've worked. And I think the biggest growth area that I've seen in the actual game is the kicking game um, and the improvement in that and how that's now a, a big part of, um, you know, you see the end of sets and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I love watching women's rugby league. Well, the 60s myself do a lot of coverage of the juniors and the, the pathways there. And so for years we were doing Harold Matthews and SG Ball doing live game updates and whatnot. And we saw Tasha Gale as a fledgling uh, competition in its inception and how much it grew because it went from being uh, not actually 13 on 13. They actually played it for, uh, was it 10 side 60s? I think it was 9 side. 9 side. So they, they gave the girls more space to, to ball play and, and find access there. But then they quickly went to 13 on 13. And this year, uh, the Parramatta Eels... Uh, didn't have the greatest season, so we were, we were watching them, you know, be competitive and and sort of push for that last berth in the finals and narrowly miss out. But we saw the Illawarra Steelers and the Roosters Indigenous Academy, and the standard of football at that grade was incredible. They were moving the ball fluently with speed, uh, getting you know downhill and aggressive. It was just so good to watch. So the the competitions made leaps and bounds there. And now you're looking at that generation. We saw some of the girls from the Steelers, I think, play NRLW. And then now for the Eels, we're looking at the likes of Osalio Cedar Payne and Ruby John Kenner potentially featuring in our uh, NRLW uh, uh, campaign at some point. So it is really exciting. And I'm, I'm loving how the game has handled the entire growth of that sector because they've done a very good job, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's just normalising that for rugby league. Like talking to Sam Burgess, he, his, when you say, what's your earliest memory of rugby league? He said, watching mum play. So Julie was a really good player back in England for her local women's team. And he said, oh, it must have been about three or four, and I was on the women's bus and they went to a game and he said, I remember mum broke her nose, so some of the other ladies held me while mum had a big patch on her face. And he said, so I remember just, you know, training sessions, just kicking the ball around the in goal while the women trained in freezing conditions. He said, so women's rugby league to him was completely normal. And I think that's where we're sort of headed is that it will be completely normal for people to have you know, posters of Ali Brigginshaw up because that might be, you know, little boys and girls, that might be their favourite player rather than me growing up with Wally Lewis on my, <laughs> on my bedroom wall. You know, it's just, it'll be it'll be a wonderful step forward and I think we're headed in the right direction. Well, speaking of that maternal influence, uh, Craig, you had a great chat with a, a mother figure that's galvanised or, or driven the career of one of our uh, form players, haven't you, mate? Yeah, before lockdown, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet uh, Isaiah Papali's parents and... Um, uh, so that meant that I, I got to meet Lorena and uh, and her husband Jerry and um, I won't I won't waste too much time talking about that now because I would start and talk for about half an hour on <laughs> on that. But uh, wonderful people and uh, L- Lorena is such a, um, a fountain a font of knowledge when it comes to rugby league and uh, we ended up we ended up talking for hours. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a, a, a real privilege to meet her. So Lorena played for the Warriors inaugural women's side. Is that right? I That's b- correct. I yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Amazing. While Isaiah was playing for the Warriors, so it was mother and son both in, you know, elite level rugby league. And I think that says everything that we know and love about this game. It's so inclusive. It's accessible to anyone. If you love the game, there's a place for you in it. And so, yeah, I love that about the Papali'i family. Well, people make a big deal about the father-son coaching combinations, the Clearies and the Muffers. You you actually had a mother and a son actively playing at the same time. So that's incredible. So. And and I can can I just say too, meeting the meeting both of those, it's easy to see why uh, Isaiah 
is not just the type of player that he is, but the type of person that he is. He, he's, a, he's a real credit to them, but it's easy to see why he's uh, such a wonderful bloke. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was that was certainly one of the highlights of this year, being able to spend some time with them. Um, <laughs> and I was just thinking as we were talking about the, the women's game, I found myself at 11 o'clock the other night watching NITV and a women's game from Western Australia. And oh, wow. And, and while the standard wasn't quite the standard here, it was an enthralling match that I had to watch right to the end because uh, it was basically one at the death. And, um, yeah, I, I, I was actually uh, surprised at, um, at the decent standard that it was from a state that you just wouldn't think, well, there's a women's rugby league competition on over there. Yeah, I remember a few seasons ago, did we have round one over in Perth? Um, yep. and when we, we took the Fox crew over there and we were lucky enough to meet the Perth Rugby League, uh, you know, managers and, and the guys behind that organisation and their push to be able to be considered for an expansion program. And they wanted a licence. They wanted to be, you know, the Perth, you know, whatever they, you know, what, what were they before during? They were, um, they were the, Reds, the Reds during the Super Western League. Reds? Yeah. Yes, and then they've been operating under the Perth Pirates in the junior yeah, that's, leagues. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but that was so proud of what they'd been able to accomplish. They had great numbers. They had great um, engagement and a lot of energy behind their bid. So, yeah, I would love to see Perth absolutely um, jump on the rugby league bus and, and off we go. It would be great. Now, we just want to steer things away from rugby league just for this question. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the Changing Our Nation program that you hosted for Sky News, and we got to see some young Indigenous leaders that were just remarkable people. And, and when I say leaders, uh, you could be talking about them as young Indigenous leaders or in, uh, leaders for their community, but we're talking about people, young people that are going to be great Australian leaders, I think, in the future. Can you share what it was like to meet them? And can I put in a request that we have some sort of follow-up program a couple of years down the track just to see where they're at now? Oh, that's a beautiful idea. I love that. Um, but And thank you. I think when they first approached me and they said, oh, we've got this idea that um, some young Indigenous uh, students, they're on scholarships through the Australian Indigenous Education Foundation, um, and they've, they've at some of the most prestigious schools around Australia, but they're from really remote and rural communities. And I thought, oh, I don't know, like I didn't know much about it. So I did a little bit more research. And I think why I loved it was, you know, often, especially in rugby league, we, we just celebrate the athletic ability of um, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And I think where this was different is that these students nominated themselves for the scholarship. They went through the selection process and it rewarded academia and it rewarded leadership and it rewarded exceptional ability um, to be able to make a difference. And I think that's why it was, you know, so important for me to just be a part of this and, and share some of their stories because, you know, so, for instance, in Jarrah Harbour, he was from Winton, um, which is in the middle of Queensland. It's There's not much doing in Winton, but he was uh, Nudgee College's first Indigenous uh, college captain, which just said everything you need to know about Injara and how gifted he was. Um, oh, and how, impre how impressive was he? He's just amazing. Oh, amazing. So he would be at home at Winton and, you know, do a lot of the traditional things like, you know, look for bush tucker and, and keep that connection to country, whereas when he was at Nudgee, he was a, a, almost a leader of industry immediately. He wanted to become a doctor and, and 
um, studied medicine at University of Queensland and then returned to Indigenous communities as a, as a medical professional. And so it was really good. There was these beautiful sisters, um, Amelia and Lily, Seeky and they were from Thursday Island and they were so gorgeous and so they would get on it you know leave their little community get on a boat fly to Cairns get into the Cairns College um, and just a such an eye-opening and I think just access to quality education is the greatest gift that we can give our young Indigenous um, students so um, yeah it was it was wonderful to meet them I think Kira Stothers is from Catherine so her and her mum drive through the centre of Australia all the way to Adelaide just so she can go to school. Um, I think she's at Seymour Ladies College in Adelaide. So just astonishing, astonishingly ac- accomplished young um, kids. They were they were very capable. They were smart, um, and they were so generous and humble and appreciative. And yeah, I think it was it was such a such a different kind of thing for me to do, and I, I loved it. I loved every second, and I, I absolutely agree. We should do a follow up in a few years' time. Now we're going to finish with some rugby league parochialism, and uh, in in the meantime, while we've been uh, talking across this podcast, I sort of just jumped over to the Olympics news to see if there was uh, any medal updates and whatnot. And I happened to on an article that actually goes on parallel for what I was going to ask you. And the ABC are out here pushing an Olympic shearing, sheepdog trials, and wood chopping for the twenty thirty two games. But uh, the twenty thirty two games, they're coming to Brisbane. That's incredible for the for the country, for the state, for the city. The country, uh, sorry, the the state itself claims to be the home of rugby league. Rugby sevens already are participating as an event in the Olympics, but should the Superior Code start lobbying for an inclusion in some capacity, even as an exhibition event for the Brisbane Games? Yes, absolutely. You mean in a nines capacity? Uh, I I don't know. That's the that's the question, isn't it? Because nines has traditionally been the 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 sort of international format for brevity. But do, yeah. we, do, do you push 13 aside to make it more different from Rugby 7s? I don't know because it, it seems like an incredible opportunity for Rugby League to be put on the world stage. I totally agree. Did you see the NRL roast um, on their socials? They actually did a starting 13 of Olympians. So I think they had Rowan Browning, who's the 100-metre sprinter. I think they had him at fullback. So maybe we could do like a Rugby League team <laughs> just full of Aussie Olympians, like have Paddy Mills at lock. Um, who else? Oh, we could have that discus discus guy, Matt Denny. He could be starting prop, obviously. Mm-hmm. Aiden Roach. He could be <laughs> a centre. Um, and of course, we've got that that, <laughs> and he's my favourite rat bag, um, Cameron Smith in the golf. He'd have yeah, to be <laughs> the mullet squad. Uh, the yeah, going, correct. Yeah, yeah. That, that'd fit yeah. right in with the rugby league haircut trends. So. He should be yeah, the rat <laughs> yeah, it's, that's right. That's right. So I don't know. I'm so glad that um, the Olympics are heading to Brisbane and, you know, we could make it really rugby league. We could have like, I don't know, Billy Moore shoot Alfie out of a cannon to light the cauldron or something. <laughs> or just get really Queensland on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why not? It's, it's, you've got, the, you've got the, the hosting rights. Just go for it. Yeah, correct. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got a. This brings us now to grand final. Um, so I'm going to throw in an extra question here. First of all, last night on 360, you talked. There was a lot of discussion about where the grand final is going to be held, and it's quite amazing. We talked earlier about having to be able to do things on the run and things ever changing with COVID, but here we are, and we're only really a couple of months away from the grand final and it's not decided where it's going to be. Um, where do you think it's likely to be, Bonnie? 
Yeah, this kind of took a really quick turn. Um, I spoke to the Queensland Premier's office yesterday and they said that grand final is not a priority. Um, they're worried about the COVID outbreaks and obviously just keeping the community safe. So they said, look, we haven't even bothered to look at the grand final. I think they just thought it was a fait accompli given that the um, co competition had relocated into those three Queensland hubs on the Sunshine, the Gold Coast and in Brisbane. Um, and I think they also felt like they deserved to host the grand final given that they had been a, a, a safe port for the NRL in, in this COVID season. So, um, but then quite smartly, Matt Tripp, who's the owner and chair of the Melbourne Storm, um, said, well, hang on, here's an opportunity. Why don't I put a bid in, bring it to the MCG? We can have a sold-out house, roll out the red carpet, and given, I mean, it's probably going to be the Melbourne Storm in there anyway, um, it would be a phenomenal way to, to really, you know, spice up the rugby league decider. So, I don't know, I think... It'll be hard to stage it here in Sydney, just given everything that we're all going through at the moment and there's no end in sight for this release of lockdown. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it probably will end up going to the MCG. I, I really don't know. But I think Queensland would feel pretty aggrieved if they didn't get hosting rights. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably something that's going to stir up the emotions, isn't it, no matter what side of the fence you're on, there's going to be valid arguments for where it should be held. Yeah, and you can understand that. And again, it goes back to what we were saying before about, you know, fans and, and clubs and everyone has a very emotive reaction, especially when it comes to something as big as rugby league's greatest day. And um, yeah, in another COVID disrupted year, um, we've got to be agile. We've got to look at all options. So yeah, perhaps we will see it head to the MCG. That'll be a, a, a turn up for the events. But I was, as I was talking to the Queensland government, I said, well, the MCG is not a good idea. You can't even watch footy there. You're too far away. It's not a rectangle oval. It needs to be rectangular. <laughs> They're getting quite funny about it because, I mean, it is, it is a good point. Suncorp Stadium is probably the greatest place to watch footy. Um, but, yeah, MCG, you're just a little bit further away. But, uh, anyway, I guess we'll all see it play out in the next few weeks. Now, finally... As Eels supporters, we we live in hope. That's our that's our yearly um, uh, it's a mantra just to just to live in hope. Um, and we're still looking forward to that grand final day when the Eels are featuring. And we're catching up with you as part of the coverage of grand final day, even if it's just oh we're crossing over to the Cumberland <laughs> Cowboys for losing the plot right now. Um, <laughs> but realistically. Do you think there's any team that's going to get close to the Melbourne Storm this year? Yeah, you can get close. It's just they're so good, aren't they? It's and it, yeah. is it just me or have they gotten better since Cameron Smith retired? Yeah, like, <laughs> it's funny. It's just, it's... It feels like they've just they're more expressive in attack. They're I don't know. It's it, yes, Ca Cameron Smith was always the one holding them back. <laughs> but it's, yeah, that's right. It's what quite, a bummer. <laughs> It just could have, could they have been? <laughs> yeah, they've certainly, in his absence across the park, they've lifted, haven't they? Uh, and I yeah. think you're never quite sure what that rat bag Cameron Munster's going to do. So he pops up and he's great to watch. Hughes has grown so much in the half quality. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think, yeah, you're right. Look, I, I, if you had to pick someone who would definitely be there, you'd have to go Melbourne Storm. And look, from there on in, it's you could throw a hanky over the rest of them. And I think there's no denying that, Parramatta is certainly in there with a chance and and you know that you've got a couple of my favourites. I love Reed Marnie, I love Regan Campbell-Gillard and I love Isaiah Papali'i. Um, uh, you've got Mitch Moses back this week. It'll be so 
important for him to now get that. I think it was the zero points against the Roosters that was troubling uh, and sound the alarms, as I'm sure you've all watched that unfold. But Parramatta just, they get a little bit tense as the premiership gets closer and closer and and we just want them to be able to relax, let trust in BA, what he's going to do. He's got you all there. You've got a great squad. You've got quality team with key rep players. Um, You're entrenched top eight, top four team. It just, it just got to relax and go with the flow. Yeah, just the, let it happen. That point about tension is probably the most succinct way of summing up where they're at at the moment. Is that you know they're inside their own heads and like you said, the the pressure of the postseason starting to creep up on them and just need to un- find a way to unwind and get back to playing you know the football that makes them good. Yeah, I guess well, you're in a race. You're in a premiership race, and and you guys have been in that race longer than anyone else in the competition. So there's all that that, you know, past trauma that you're carrying. And, and as, you know, I understand why they just do that get it because each season that ticks over, it means more and there's more pressure. And, yeah, you just don't want to tense up. you just got to, you know, you've got great players. I'd love to see them there on grand final day. But, um, you know, you, if you were going to back one team to certainly be there, it'd have to be Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Agreed. For better or for worse, they just never go away, don't they, the Storm? It's a credit to Craig Bellamy and his system down there. Oh, ridiculous. I know Cooper Cronk's a big believer of um, South Sydney. He thinks that Wayne might be able to do something special in his last year there. Yeah, yeah, Adam Reynolds, a 10-year farewell for him. The captain's leaving to become a Bronco at the end of the year, so they'll want to send him out as a winner, a little homegrown hero that he is. So I think – and, like, Luttrell's never looked better, and that's all Yeah, Luttrell's been in incredible touch this year. Yeah, yeah. Wayne's given him a cuddle and given him confidence, and, yeah, Trell's just – yeah, and I, I think the Bunnings attack's probably the best we've got in the competition at the moment, given that they've just put points on, you know, a huge amount of points. The momentum they have is ridiculous. That left side attack has just gotten stronger and stronger. So, yeah, the Bunnies could be there, but hopefully it is the Blue and Golds, boys. Well, they've got to start <laughs> off by knocking off the Bunnies this week, so big task from there. Uh, the Rabbitohs have had the running on us for the last couple of our contests. Whether, That'd be a good start. Yeah, just roll them this weekend, exactly. hey? <laughs> exactly. So that would certainly kickstart our run back into the finals. So better, better, no better time to start than the present, right? But yeah, speaking of the present, this is usually the point where I'd give our guest a bit of a plug on social media. But if you don't know who Von Sampson is and where to find her, uh, I'll probably <laughs> accuse you of having a, a screwdriver lobotomy. You've, you'd have to be living <laughs> under a rock not to know who Vonnie is. Uh, but in, in terms of this podcast, Vonnie, if we had to call this an Olympic event, I think you've just gone and smashed Javier Sotomayor's high jump record because you've set the, oh. you've set the bar that high. We've, we've had great guests on. We have Joey Grammer on every other week, and he's awesome. We've had Bernie Gurr on as a semi-regular guest. We've had uh, Dean from the, the NRL Roast. We've had so many great guests, but, geez. Uh, you know, oh, and, and not not forgetting all those past Eels players in our that, life. And we, we've actually had, yeah, the, the luxury, the, the privilege of – before everything went to lockdown, of interviewing Parramatta legends, both now and then years back. So we've we've had incredible guests, and you are up and above. So thank you Aww. so much for taking the time to come onto the tip sheet. It really means a lot to us. Oh, not at all. Thank you so much for the invitation. I've had a great time. Hopefully I get another invite back. Oh, <laughs> oh absolutely. <laughs> Whenever you want. <laughs> um, roll out the car- red carpet for you. Grand, grand final week, Vonnie, when the Eels are in there. That'll be, that'll be the special podcast. Oh, how exciting. We should do that live from somewhere very special, like maybe in the bowels of banquets or something fun. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you so much. So, ladies and gentlemen, Yvonne Sampson 
of I suppose of Fox Sports fame now, but you know the, the, the leading lady of rugby league uh, without a doubt, and um, uh, you know catcher on Fox Sports, catcher on uh, uh, sport, sports radio, sorry in the morning, um, and yeah, and if you catch her on socials, get her there because you you engage your fans a lot. So I think that's part of the reason why everyone loves you so much. Oh, thank you. Sometimes I've got to block a few, but most of oh, you are yeah. all really good. <laughs> You're just some weirdos out there too. Oh, oh, my goodness, there are some weirdos out there. So, yeah, I do not begrudge you that at all. Can you guys stop asking for those? It's weird. Uh, the, the internet, sometimes you love it, sometimes it needs to go die in a, in a, in a fire. Thanks, boys. I've had a great time. Thank, thank you. you so much, Yvonne. Thanks, Yvonne. As always, we do thank you for stopping by and listening to the tip sheet. Uh, Sixties has already departed this episode. He's got a few things to do himself personally this week, so I'll be the uh, lone uh, holdout for the outro, which is just fine after that action-packed episode of Vonnie. Um, but yeah, you can uh, join the conversation on TCT as always, and we'll have our usual preview episode of uh, the tip sheet up tomorrow, where we'll be previewing our game against the South Sydney Rabbitohs, and probably have Joey Grimer stopping by to give us uh, a little bit of Parramatta Insider news as well. Thanks for listening as always, and continue to stay safe, guys. Keep well.